Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com. What's up, everybody? It's Soren Baker here on Unique Access with Soren Baker. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already, please like our podcast and subscribe to it and rate it as highly as possible, however you may be listening around the world. We appreciate your guys' support, and we're looking forward to bringing you a lot more great material. So please subscribe and support us here, Unique Access with Soren Baker. Now, today's episode, I talk with CJ Mack. CJ Mack, of course, is a street legend and icon in Los Angeles. He's somebody I've known since the 90s, and we got a lot of great things that we talk about one of them during this conversation is how a street rep actually hurt him once he got in the game and how his good friend dub c legitimized him in the music industry we also talk about his seawalk documentary that he did several years ago as well as some of the gang issues that are rampant throughout the united states of america so this week unique access with soren baker we got cj mack thanks for listening enjoy What's up, everybody? It's Soren Baker here on Unique Access, and today we are joined by CJ Mack. Yes, 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 yes. Thanks, thank you for coming through, Thanks sir. Thanks for having me, sir. Always a pleasure to see you, man, and chop it up with you because you've uh, obviously an OG in the game and put in a lot of work over a lot of different eras and continue to do so today. One of the things that I've always found interesting and we've talked about a lot over the years is how you've progressed as an artist and how you've maintained and sustained things. So. You know, as I was knowing we were going to be doing this interview, I wanted to talk about a lot of the interesting people you've worked with over the years and kind of what you learned. So, like, what do you remember, like, the DJ Pooh back working with you, working with King T, like that era? Well, first of all, Mix Master Spade brought me around. Okay. I was like uh, the hustling kid, you know, that wanted to rap. So I've been writing raps on uh, paper bags and anything I could find since so I was 14 years old. but. I didn't really think that I could do it professionally. Okay. And I met Mixmaster Spade, and he just started bringing me around everybody. You know, he's like, hey, this is CJ, you know? I like his voice, he can rap. So he brought me around DJ Pooh and King T. Okay. And around the time when I came around, they had a they had got a record deal. So I got the first deal with uh, Capitol Records at the time. Right. I think it was uh, King T, Act the Fool. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I came around DJ Pooh and them, they were full-fledged, like just getting going. Their first little record deal, and. 
Uh, DJ Pooh was hot. He was uh, DJing at the clubs. I think it was uh, the Red Onion. Mick Sasha Spade had a song, Red Onion, on a Tuesday night, you know? And I used to go to Red Onion every Tuesday to fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Me and my crew, oh, it was fight night for me every Tuesday in there. You know, we'd kind of tear Red Onion up. But uh, that's how I met those guys, man. And uh, they let me see that, wow, you know what? I, I can do this also. Mm -hmm. So that's what I saw them working every day and doing their music. Pool was always funny and telling jokes and everything. Right. But they were serious about their craft. And I got a chance to go out to their video shoots and different things like that, man. And that started really influenced me to say, hey, I can do this too. You know, I always think it's amazing when you look back and see like who worked with who like way yes. back in the day. Yes. Cause it's, it's just astonishing, which, you know, for you, um, one of the other things that I always thought was interesting, we've talked about over the years, but now looking back, like what impact do you think it had on your career getting with, with rap a lot and, and doing a deal with Jay Prince kind of at the height of West Coast gangster rap doing something with somebody from Houston? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, I kind of felt like uh, I wasn't being taken seriously here. Okay. Because of my background, I was like, you gotta figure I was in a, I was driving a 500 Benz when Q was in a Suzuki Jeep, literally, you know? And uh, so I think everybody just looked at me as the street dude that got some money and he's not serious, but I was serious. Right. <clears throat> so I was kind of taking it personal, you know, that uh, like, man, what's up, man? He's just not really giving me the shout out. One, like DJ Pooh helped me out. He did a lot of those songs on that record mm -hmm. and some other things for me that we probably never even released. So Poole was helping me out. Like I said, Mixmaster Spade was my biggest supporter. Spade introduced me to Easy e uh, Spade even had me on the phone with Dr. Dre before. Mm, okay. So, you know, back in the days when I was just getting started, but like I said, I was, you know, I was hustling. So I was part of that, you know, that, that era. That <laughs> I was part of that other movement, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? That was going on at the same time. So I didn't really get a chance. And, and, and by chance, uh, I was going out independently. I moved to Atlanta, like with the Color Me Funky record. Back then, you know, I wanted to do like uh, what was popular, the LL Cool J's and the right. Big Daddy Kane's, you know, I was on that, you know, and then I was like, well, I gotta do what I know. Once I came back to, back on this end of the world and said, okay, let me do what I do. But Little J was out here looking for talent. Okay. And he went to one of my, my homeboys from my neighborhood's house. He was trying to start Rap A Lot West. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of people in there auditioning and all that, right? And I was just in there playing dominoes with him. Okay. And then someone said, CJ, rap too. And he was like, you rap? I was like, yeah. And he was like, bust something. And I bust Powder Puff. Oh, okay. And he was like, yeah, you got some more music? And I was like, yeah, but my house is way out in Marino Valley. I had a house studio equipment. I said, my producer up right now working. He's like, let's go, it was two in the morning. Okay. So he drove, uh, two-hour ride with me all the way to Marino Valley, basically sat up for another two hours listening to music and then left. And I was like, wow. So it's another interesting story of how I just left everything alone and went to rap a lot. He said he had a check for the same amount of money that I had kind of like missing in the streets in Chicago. So I said, I basically said, God, if you give me this, I'll game stop rotates. doing this. The game rotates. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they, and they signed me and everything and they, and they gave me an opportunity. Lil J, J Prince over there, rap a lot, they gave me an opportunity. So I think it was major, because it was a way for me to get my name known, regardless of the outcome. I think it was difficult for them. They didn't really know how to handle a West Coast act. They had a lot of influence in the South. Right, right. But my music was West Coast. Very, very. So they couldn't really have the same hand, forceful hand, right. <laughs> if I could say so, and with radio and different things like that on the West Coast. And then there was a lot of things about me and 
a lot of other stuff that was coming into play. So for you, you know, obviously at that time in the game, you know, Cube was on fire. You know, Dub C was, mm -hmm. was doing really well. Ice-T, of course, was still, uh, you know, putting out a lot of very thoughtful and provocative records. So for you, like, the social commentary, doing it the way that you did it, what wrinkle do you think that you added, you know, in what was going on? I think reality, and I think I brought awareness that, um, man, we were losing a lot of people at that time, and it was hurting. It was, it was very hurting. I have friends right now <clears throat> that are just getting out of prison from when I made that record. The names that I mentioned, they've done 22 and 23 years, and they're just getting home. And not because of anything violent, not because of killing anybody, but for drugs and trying to survive and make money. Right. You know, and so uh, that hurt me, and I think I brought awareness to that. No one else was really talking about that to that extent. Right. You know, people were talking about what's going on, like, cute summer vacation or this or that, but I'm like, man, this dude is locked up for a kilo and getting 35 years. So I think I was kind of the only one that was really that close to the game. I was so close to the other world that I could talk about, talk about it in a way that no one else could. Yeah. And then I think, you know, that, that was one of the things that I think, you know, endeared you to a lot of people, myself included, is that you added some of these other dimensions and layers. And then I think when we get to like the Shadiest One album that you're on quite a bit, I think that Dub also did that very well, uh, especially um, with prior to that with uh, Ain't A Damn Thing Change. Yes, he did. And then, you know, you know, you got Curb Serving in between that and the Shadiest One. But then for you, what made the Shadiest One such like a big project and why were you on it so much and how did that work? We became really close friends. Uh, Dub C was, I met Dub C when, I, when Spade was bringing me around. So Dub C and I, even though he was with Low Profile, we were both seemed like we were just kind of like in the background. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we kind of became friends and then and around he, the time. And a lot of people might not know he was in Rom Syndicate. Yeah, you know, with, with Ice, you know, and with, which Ice, like I said, Ice really, he influenced me to rap two six in the morning. It was crazy because I was living like that. I was like, oh shit. You know what I'm <laughs> so anyway, but um, so yeah, Dub C and I just became really close, and we would just, oh, oh we do this, and he shared tips and really showed me and brought me into the game. Like, Dub C really legitimized me, okay. because when I was on rap a lot, it was still a lot of controversy, and uh, there were certain people that were saying, you know, I have to be watched. And I'm an older member from a certain area, and uh, he's not no rapper. He's something else. Right. Like it's really deep, like that. That it got political with the radio stations and different people at the radio stations. So Dub C, I remember the first time he took me up to the radio station, and a program director at the time he introduced me to her. I won't say her name, but her. And uh, she was doing some paperwork, and Dub C, she was talking to Dub. She wasn't really looking up, and he said, "Yeah, this is my partner, C J Max." She said. Hi. I was like, no, what is this? Right. Then we went to the room with the disc jockey that was hot at the time. He did the same exact thing. Hmm. And then later, he said that certain people were up there saying that, you know, I had to be monitored. Hmm. And this is things people don't know. Right, right. But Dub C, he was really instrumental in bringing me in the game and making people believe, no, nah, he's really doing this. He's, he's really an artist. Right. And then um, soon thereafter, you had the Platinum Game Project with uh, Mac-10 with Who Bangin'. So you had, at this point, you know, had success in different ways with different people. So then getting more, I guess, affiliated with the Westside Connection movement uh, through Mac, like what did you see 
with what he was doing business-wise that made you want to roll with him, and how was it different than like a J Prince or a Dub C? Well, <clears throat> with Dub C, it's always been solid. Even when I did the Mac-10 deal, a Dub was like, yeah, go ahead and do it, man. He can give you some exposure and blah, blah, blah. But uh, with the Mac-10 situation, Mac and I were around DJ Pooh and when he was doing this thing for a while, and it was kind of like, whichever one of us make it, man, we're gonna pull the other one in. This was before Mac-10 was with Ice Cube. Okay. So, I mean, we used to get one another rides home and stuff like that, you know what I mean? So, yes. me and Mac kind of went back before that. And then so when he got a deal with um, Priority, he was like, man, I got my own label situation. And he said, you know, I don't know if it's gonna work or not, but let's do it, you know what I mean? And I was like, well, how much money? <laughs> he didn't give me enough money, I was like, let's roll with it, you know what I mean? So uh, it was a lot different because Mac was just starting out and he had to do things a little bit differently than Jay Prince had a little bit more control over what was going on. Okay. But Mac kind of had the West Coast, you know, he had the market. He had the market. Uh, yeah, he had the market, but I don't know, things just didn't really pan out in the situation for that label at all. Right. Um, none of us really did well, but I appreciate him. And uh, he, he kept his word and looked out for me, like he said. And like I said, from the Jump Street, he was like, well, I, I see what happens. Right, right. <laughs> well, one, so I can't be mad at that. One thing, though, I thought that was another great thing that you, that you did with Mac was uh, Thicker Than Water. Oh, like, yeah, for Gator. Like, your role in there, because I thought that I actually thought Thicker Than Water of the movies made by rappers, like for real made by rappers, I thought that was one of the better ones. Yes. And I thought that- I agree. I thought that, yeah, I thought that you did it. Fat Joe did a great job, I thought. Mac did a great job, and you did too. Thank you very Gator. much. Yeah, you're welcome. But Gator, I thought, was different in the sense that that was a well-rounded character that we didn't see in a lot of the hood movies, right. especially like the directed DVD, even though that did get a limited theatrical release, right. which I think is a testament to its, its quality. But for you, um, you know, being in the streets, being ingrained in that, what did you see with the Gator character that made it kind of different than the other thugs or the other criminals that were in those type of movies at the time? Well, first of all, that movie was, that role was for Master P. Mm, okay. And um, that's so he was in New Orleans. Right, right, right. I remember that. So uh, Master P, some kind of way it didn't work out. I don't know what the business was. But I told Mac, hey, Mac could do it. And it was like, all right. Come in here and read. And I went and read, and I had my new, little, my little fake little um, New Orleans accent. Right, right. <laughs> that I altered myself, you know. And they was like, all right, all right, come on, let's go. So I think that character was important because that showed a character, he was true. He was true to his word. He was a real hustler, you know what I mean? And he was he was really, really with it. And um, that role was not unfamiliar with me in my life. So, you Not know, <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't a really, really hard role to play, per se, right, right, per se. Right. But, uh, you know, I think the, I think that characters weren't seen like that in, in that light. A good guy that wasn't really, really, he wasn't trying to kill everybody or, or anything like that. He was a real, real fair guy. You know what I mean? He was hard and he was serious, but he was fair. And he had no business at the end like he was supposed to, you know, so. I think that, that that character was important in, uh, for that type of movie. And like you said, you have a movie where you got guys from New York, you got guys from LA, you know, and, and they even actually moved around and you know went to different yeah. parts. So it was really, really well put together. I, I really enjoyed making it too. It was a really fun movie. One of your other main film projects was the Seawalk yes. uh, DVD that you had that uh, really, as gangbanging, I think, got more popular. Um, that documentary is kind of right on time. Mm -hmm. So for you, what made that an important project? And looking back, 
what do you think that that did for you or for Crips or Seawalking? It was important to me because the news stopped reporting murders that were taking place. And when it was news, it was on the news every day, and it, was, it had awareness, and people knew that there was a problem here in Los Angeles that needed right. to be solved or you know, needed some assistance in, in, in solving. We needed that here. So they stopped talking about it completely, and it was like the murder rate was at an all-time high, but there was no mention of it on the news at all. Mm -hmm. So Dub C repopularized the uh, Crip Walk dance. So everybody was doing it. The Laker Girls, Rick Berry, Lil Bow Wow. Everybody was Crip Walking. So I just thought about it. And All I said, those hardcore gang members. Right. So I said, you know what? And then the dance was just for hardcore gang members. Initially. So I said, <laughs> initially, right? So I said, you know what? This is a, that's a great hook for me to tell a more important story. Mm -hmm. So I utilized that to draw people in. Oh, you see all the little creative dancing and all that. And then it was it was interesting to see the perspective. Some gang members didn't think uh, kids should be doing it, and some people were just like, "Cool, let them do it." You know, some of the hardcore gang members was like, "Man, let them." Like, Peter Rock was like, "Man, let them do it." You know, right, right. but uh, but my point was basically to show the destruction and the murders, man, and that, that mothers are still crying and kids are becoming fatherless at a rapid rate, man. I mean, I'm proud to say this year in Los Angeles, the murder rate is. The lowest has been since 1966. It's a beautiful thing. So, but back then, man, I had gangbangers coming to my office, man, gang members coming to my office and cry watching that tape. It's very powerful, but I think it's a testament to the work as a filmmaker, but I also think it kind of echoes what, I, what I've, you and I have discussed for 10, 15 years now is that, you know, when yourself and others are able to bring the humanity to what's going on in the streets that doesn't really get reported or acknowledged right. much, that, I think, is the powerful thing. And that's why, you know, I thought that was an important movie and that, you know, a lot of your material, that's why Thank I you. think it's good. So, for you, what, what was the, you know, how do you, when you see um, people misrepresenting gang culture, which happens all the time, like, how do you, remain focused to want to, you know, present that other side of it to make it more human? Like, how, how are you able to navigate that? Well, I kind of don't pay attention to all that. I've been around, the, been around the country and I've seen it. I've seen gang issues worse in Louisiana than they are in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, because these guys are looking at things in certain different places, not necessarily Louisiana, but in different cities. They think it's murder, murder, kill all day long. And that's yeah. what they're trying to emulate. Right. So I've seen it worse there. So if I can do something here and let it spread out from here and show people, hey, this is Los Angeles, then maybe, and, I, and, if, and I'm telling you, like, you know, this is the wrong route. Because that's what I said. I said, I wish it would end. Right. So if you're hearing that from Los Angeles and you're in Portland, Oregon, maybe that message will get to you too. So, so the message can be worldwide. So I don't look at it as like these guys are copycats or this and that because their bullets hurt and kill too. Right. You know, you can call them a copycat you want to. If he shoots you, it's going to hurt or hurt or kill you. Right. You know what I mean? So I don't look at that like that. And then some of these places, they've been having gangs so long now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you used to call somebody uh, a, new gang, a new gang banger at one time in Los Angeles if their gang started after 1976. <laughs> Yeah, right. But look how long that's been. Yeah. Right? So just because somewhere in Arkansas they, you know, they they saying they Crips or Bloods and, you know, you think it's a joke and they catch your ass slipping. 
<laughs> you'll find out that that bullet, hurts that the bullet same. is real. You hurts know what I mean? The same. So that's that's uh, I wanted it to spread everywhere. I think it did too. I, it got it got a lot of mileage, a lot of traction. So um, hopefully it was able to help somebody. If it's just one person, hopefully it helps somebody. Right. And then now you're also doing a lot of uh, film stuff that you're also yes. working on. So with that, um, what are you working on? Um, Ice T and I have a uh, reality-based business television show called um, American Hustler that we're developing right now. Mm -hmm. um, we should be filming uh, in the next month or so. Okay. Um, that's a show based on um, people with failing businesses that just don't have that raw hustle. Ben Baller is our, our main host, okay. and um, he's going to be pairing them with successful people that made it from nothing, you know, the street way, and give them that extra hustle to help spark their businesses. So that's that show we have coming out. Uh, Snoop and I are getting set to film right now a uh, prison web webisode series, an up-close-and-personal um, prison webisode series that we're going to do 12, 15 minutes. We've, uh, okay. I, wrote, I wrote like uh, eight episodes of that. And, and we're is that the Monsters? Mm -mm. That's a different one. No, we're doing something called Kites. Okay. It's real up and close, up close and personal, and it's about uh, just prison living and getting caught up in the politics and, and you know, just a real, real in-depth look at prison life in California. Okay. And what's the Momsters one? The, oh, the, the, the Momsters? Yeah. Oh, the Momsters is another project that I have. We can't talk too much about that one right now. Okay. But that's, I have that with a, a production company called Three Good Sons. Um, we're doing something with that. It's just I don't want to talk about that one right now. Okay. But I'm also doing something with Nia Long. Okay. Um, that's really hot. It's going to be really hot. It's called Concrete Rose, hmm. and it's a story about uh, it's real street. It's a crime drama. It's uh, let's just say this: it's uh, Devil Wears Prada meets The Wire. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've been busy. I only man, seen working. one of those. Right. This one is really dope. Okay. And it's different. All right. And then musically, are you still working on a lot of stuff? Or? Just if I feel like it. If I just feel like rapping, I wrote something last night that was super, it was crazy. I said, oh, I'm going to kill him with this, right? Mm -hmm. So just if I feel like it, I can still do it. You know, we put an age limit on rap for some reason. You know, rock and rollers, you get out there 70 years old, falling out. Still and good. Still getting down, right? But in rap, uh, they called me old when I was 28. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody was 21, 22, 23. You know, they called me old when I was 28. So in rap, you know, we, we date ourselves. So I don't want to be on stage with uh, somebody 20. You know what I mean? I don't want right. to be on a tour bus with them smelling like weed. I, I don't want to do none of that. Right, right. You know what I mean? I just want to, but, but when I feel like getting down, I'm going to get down. So I'll choose my projects to do a soundtrack or this or that. I go get other artists, but I'll feature myself like that. Sounds good, man. Well, appreciate you coming through, Thank man. you very much Always for having a pleasure. me. Always, man. Always. CJ Mack, I'm Soren Baker, Unique Access. Yes, yes. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Unique Access with Soren Baker. I appreciate your guys' support. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and however you guys checked out this episode of Unique Access with Soren Baker. Also, if you haven't already, please pick up the copies of my two most recent books, The History of Gangster Rap and the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness with Gucci Man. You can find both of those books on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at the independent bookstore near you. And of course, you could also check them out at your library. And if any of those places don't have them, please request them. 
And most importantly, thank you so much for listening to Unique Access with Soren Baker, however you listen to us. And please subscribe so we get into your feed. Hit us with that like and hit us with the five stars, 10 stars, 100 stars, whatever's the highest they got on this platform. But we appreciate your guys' support and look forward to you checking us out on the next episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.